This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I'm worried. That's what the CEO of the University Health Network tweeted out on the weekend. Dr. Kevin Smith wrote, We've gone from zero COVID inpatients for some weeks to seven. The majority in ICU. It's time to act. We know how to turn the tide on increasing cases of COVID. Mask, physically distance, hand wash, limit gatherings, test, trace, and isolate. Get serious. Now, this came out before we saw today's number, 313, and that is a high for recent months. So, is this the dreaded second wave we've anticipated? Or uh, is this just a spike up and the second wave could be even worse? Is it because people have COVID fatigue? What do you think? Or is it because people are going back to work, going back to school? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am joined by Dr. Susie Hota, Infectious Diseases Specialist and Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at the University Health Network, and Dr. Prabhat Jha, Epidemiologist and Faculty Member at the Dalalana School of Public Health. Thank you both so much for joining us. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, Susie, what did you think when you saw that tweet from your boss? Absolutely. I, I completely agree. It's very worrisome what we're seeing, the trends in Ontario as well as within Toronto where we are located. We're definitely seeing case counts go up and fairly rapidly over the last couple of weeks. Um, to me, that signals that we could be entering into a second wave and, uh, and, and it's very worrisome indeed. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ja, do you think that we are entering into a second wave or is this just some kind of uh, random spike because people are socializing? I think it's actually a rebound wave, not a second wave. And I'll tell you the difference. A second wave would mean basically we've controlled the infection completely and then it has been hanging around and then comes back in a big way. I don't think we're at that stage. Uh, I, I respect what Dr. Smith has put out as a caution, but there was one part where he made some conjecture, which I think we have to be careful about, which is he was worried that are we going to get back into you know, basically hospitalizations and death doubling every few days as occurred in, in April? No. I think if you look carefully at places in Europe that have opened up even earlier than us, what they're seeing now in the rebound phase is significant increases in cases but a very slower and much lower trajectory of uh, increases in deaths or hospitalizations. And provided that our healthcare facilities have the ability, which they now are much stronger in position to do so, to deal with any increase in cases, then I don't anticipate that really terrible scenario that we had a lot of excess deaths, particularly in nursing homes in April April and May of this year. Dr. Susie Hota, does that give you any comfort at all? 
You know, I think that there are a number of scenarios that could happen, and I agree. It's it's hard for us to know exactly how, um, you know, how intense this is going to be uh, coming up in the next several weeks and months. Uh, we are definitely in a better place to deal with things overall as a system. Uh, but, you know, some of the trends we're seeing, too, may be just reflective of who currently is transmitting the infections more often. So the younger age groups seem to be more involved. Um, and that might have a spillover effect into other age groups that might be more vulnerable. So I think the bottom line is we, we can kind of, um, you know, postulate what might happen. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. And in the meantime, I would love to avoid getting into that scenario altogether if we could tighten up our public health measures. Mm-hmm. Is the problem just COVID fatigue? People are just tired of following the rules so closely. You know, I, I think that's a big part of it. We've been in this for so long. Uh, the summertime tends to be a time when people relax a little bit in general. Um, and so COVID fatigue is something we're going to have to battle for for as long as this is going on, this pandemic is going on. Uh, it, it's, it's something that uh, takes a lot of effort and work because it's about changing behaviors. Mm-hmm. Dr. Zha? I think it's less the case of COVID fatigue than of uh, some public health actions not actually keeping up. I'll give you three examples. One is the contact tracing app was supposed to be used quite widely, but the uptake within Ontario has been quite uh, quite limited. People tell me that they haven't even been able to get the app to work on older smartphones. So if you have an older iPhone, it won't work on it. I mean, that should be really very urgently fixable. Related to that, I would have liked to see a lot more uh, places, restaurants, um, the limited number of bars that I think uh, could be open, really have a no app, no entry policy. Basically, if you don't have the app, you don't go inside. We need to enforce mechanisms where more people are using the contact tracing app, at least to know if they've been exposed. But um, most, well, every restaurant that I've been in, you have to give them your contact info. But people don't, uh, as you know, you you can just give them uh, any kind of information if uh, you want to get around it. Whereas I think if the app were enforced, so you have to show the app to get in. I mean, that would be one way that you would at least try to get increased use of the app. On the overall strategies, however, I think our goal should be to keep hospitals and healthcare safe, particularly the nursing homes, which there's been great progress on. We need to keep schools reopen. And then we need to look carefully at places where there's active community transmission. And that actually is occurring just in pockets of, for example, in Ontario, in Peel, Uh, county in Toronto and in Ottawa in particular. And within those, it's quite clear it's occurring in young people and particularly in indoor bars. So I believe taking a page from what Bonnie Henry has done out in BC, which would be a lot more restrictions or even basically closing down uh, discotheques, bars, parties, going after that is likely to decrease the case count and keep community transmission low so our schools and hospitals can stay safe. Let's take a call from Catherine in Hamilton. And Catherine, your daughter's a teacher. Hello. Hi, how are you, Libby? Fine, how are you? Thank my call. Yeah, my daughter is uh, in first year, finally got a contract teacher, so she's pretty excited. And uh, we happen to be, she's in my bubble, and she came out to visit me one time before the school 
reopens tomorrow. And she woke up Sunday morning with a sore throat, runny nose, and a cough. Oh, dear. So she off she went to get tested. And, of course, we're waiting now to hear about what's going to happen. The only, like, her wife is a frontline worker, nurse in the, in Sunnybrook Hospital. And um, so they've been taking extreme precautions and have been extremely careful all along. So, uh, but she spent two weeks setting up her classroom. And uh, she's not, she's wondering whether that was where she could have uh, contacted. She has the contact app. She checks it constantly. She, it says that she hasn't been exposed to anything, but I'm, we're hoping it's just a cold, but you know, you get nervous and think about it. Of course, of, of course, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if her partner is a healthcare worker, then that's a possibility. Um, yeah, but she was tested. Um, she's tested almost weekly, I think now. So. Well, I wish her the best of luck. That timing Thanks. is very unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Well, I just appreciate you taking my call. And, uh, you know, it's a concern for everybody. And I agree. We all have to just, uh, you know, it's wonderful to see our families and everything. But maybe it's the time to step back a little bit. So that's my opinion. <laughs> okay, Catherine, thank you for that. Um, Dr. Hota, school is reopening. Uh, we've also seen, interestingly enough, you know, Piles of people have have opted for online learning. They're afraid to go back. I mean, what do you expect to result from that? We're just at the very beginning of that. Yes. I mean, it is uh, disappointing to me that, unfortunately, case counts are rising at a time when schools are reopening. You know, I I think we've all been fairly vocal um, that one of the most important determinants of success in reopening schools will be keeping community transmission down. Um, so, you know, I think we're going to have to be very cautious as this plays out. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to comment on is, um, you know, the, the, the reports of sniffles and sore throat and runny nose and things like this are anecdotally just seeming to increase over time. And, and there are other respiratory viruses that are transmitting. And so people um, are doing the right thing by getting tested and keeping themselves at home and determining what it is that's causing the symptoms. This is going to be a frequent thing we have to deal with in the fall. You look at other jurisdictions that have been going through this in the Southern Hemisphere, for example, um, some of the pandemic-related measures we've got in place have reduced the, the transmission of influenza and some other respiratory viruses, but yet others, like the cause of the common cold, the rhinoviruses, are continuing to circulate. So it is going to be a difficult fall for, for kids in school, for teachers, for families, um, for all of us. Well, I've got to say, there's also allergies. <laughs> Speaking for myself, my I have a runny nose every day of my life, and uh, at this point, I just have to uh, try to make sure I'm I'm in private <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, because there, you know, it could just be a ordinary allergy, but I guess um, people who have those are aware. I want to ask about the rate of increase. How important an indicator is that, and, and what are you seeing, Dr. Ja? Well, obviously, the rate has, uh, has increased in recent weeks, but you have to look at this in the, uh, the context of what was really quite bad. So if we go back to how many daily cases we were getting in May for the whole of Canada, we're at that time, at the very peak, we're getting about 1,700 on average uh, per day. And in the most recent 
time frame, it's about 650. It might have gone up to about 700. So, yes, it's still smaller than what we got at the peak. If you look at Spain, they're getting about the same numbers of cases now as they did back at the peak of April. But the important statistic is what's happening with deaths. And basically, for every death, you can expect a certain uh, predictable number of hospitalizations. And in Canada, at the peak, we were having 175 deaths a day. And in the last um, week or so, the average in Canada has been four per day. So we, it is a different concern now. And as Dr. Hota and you both mentioned, the main concern there is really a fear of people being able to return to work and return to school. And I think the key assurance there is as follows. Much of the community transmission that is occurring is occurring in these clusters which are avoidable. The nightclubs, the indoor parties, and young people um, not uh, taking precautions is really where we have to focus public health efforts. And the second is to know the absolute risk is quite low. And I'll tell you this personally. I take the TTC, uh, the Toronto Transit Commission, in the morning. I come to work. I've got two daughters uh, at the University of Toronto who are on dorms, and obviously I'm concerned about them, but using sensible precautions, which is masks, strict hand washing, making sure I know where my hands are, and uh, physical distancing. We've been back at work for um, now about a month and a half, and I actually feel safe. I don't feel uncomfortable coming down to downtown Toronto to work. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, uh, my team has been here throughout, and we feel very safe here, but <clears throat> the prospect of other people coming back to work, I'm not so sure about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, we've always got to be thinking, and this is where smart public health is really important, identify the hotspots. We know where they're occurring, and I believe we should be making a lot more steps to restricting, particularly indoor uh, bars and uh, going after the partiers. Uh, you know, increasing fines and uh, social media campaigns and other things to try to discourage those. That, in turn, will keep schools safe and us more confident that we can send our children uh, to school. So I think it's related. You keep community transmission low, then the schools remain safe. Dr. Hota, our numbers were very skewed by the fact that 80% of the deaths were in long-term care homes, and that's under control for the moment. Are you confident that that will remain under control? I don't know that staffing has been beefed up. We still have long-term care homes with four people to a bed. What's your view of that? Well, you know, I think things are definitely better than they were going into the spring, but they're not completely resolved yet. There's still work to be done. Um, You know, as you recall in the spring, um, you know, infection prevention control was just not really ingrained in a lot of the uh, long-term care homes. And now we've got the, we've built some of that resiliency. We've got relationships um, between hospitals and long-term care 
homes and uh, public health as well that have been strengthened. And hopefully we can continue to strengthen that. I think there's still some work to be done in that area. Um, but, you know, also some other physical changes have been done. So, you know, four people to a room is no longer acceptable in long-term care homes. So I think we recognize that crowding people in in that kind of a setting is, is not helpful for COVID-19 transmission. So we definitely are in a better shape going into the fall, um, but, you know, still working on some of those measures to be optimized. And have you maintained your relationship with the long-term care homes that, that you had a relationship with? We have. And actually, you know, some of that's been a nice relationship. It's been uh, great to strengthen that bond and kind of reach out to other settings, um, you know, that we weren't previously involved with so much. Uh, so I think that's, you know, a positive thing that can come from it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there's also opportunity to build on those kinds of relationships. Okay, let's take a call from John in Guelph. Hello, John. Hello. How are you? Fine. How are you? Very well. Uh, I had a situation just the other day, which was rather disconcerting. I was walking to work past the schoolyard. It was recess, and there wasn't one child in that schoolyard that was wearing a mask. The teacher was wearing hers. Uh, we're sending our kids to school thinking they're going to be protected and washed over, and here the teacher does nothing. And were they distance? I mean, this was outside. Absolutely no distancing, huddled to group in little groups, playing basketball, going tandem down the slides. Um, what is the... Uh, okay, I'll run that by our experts. Do you know how old those kids were? Okay. Pardon? Uh uh, what do you make of, of what he said? Do, do kids, I guess there are different rules for different age groups, but is that uh, a problem, kids at recess, Dr. Ja? Uh, again, you've got to be sensible about what the risks are here. So in the very youngest children below age 10, we know that infection rates are actually quite low and so uh, limited prospect of transmission. When you get to older ages, where, in fact, they can take more responsibility, then, yes, I think trying to enforce masks is sensible. And, again, with a bit of sensible caution, when you're outside and you are able to maintain some uh, distancing, then masks are less essential than they are inside. And the truth is, you know, kids are kids, and if you tell them to do something, they will usually do the opposite. So the strategy has to be to say, well, what can be done to keep schools safe? I believe, like Quebec has started to do, doing good random testing of schools should really come in. So you'd be able to know by taking a random sample of the uh, teachers and of the staff, testing them and seeing what is the levels. It will give assurance to the population that the levels are, in fact, low. But remember, schools will get infection only if we haven't controlled community transmission. So this is why going back to finding the hotspots and shutting them down, like the nightclubs and the indoor parties, is really where there should be a lot of focus. I believe the use of the contact tracing app really has been a disappointment. And I'd like to see uh, Premier Ford really push this idea, no no app, no entry approach to restaurants and bars and other places if they are going to stay open. Dr. Hota, uh, 
What about enforcement? We're hearing stories about, say, uh, a, a big party in a small space. Police called and said, well, we can't do anything because there are fewer than 50 people here, but it might be 20 people in a, in a small apartment, not physically distanced. Uh, are the rules too blurry? And is there a problem with enforcing uh, the so-called hotspots? I think the fact that we're having these conversations speak to uh, there being a need to communicate it a little bit more clearly. The rules that state you can have indoor gatherings of up to 50 people are assuming that you're still maintaining physical distancing, uh, which is largely impractical in most home parties, for example. Um, but, you know, I, I think that people are just confused about what that expectation is or interpreting it differently. And I, I do think that... Yeah, but that this is police. People- police should, should not be confused. <laughs> Right. The police should not be confused. And I, I, I think that uh, there's an opportunity there to, to really clarify that messaging and hold people accountable for it. Uh, I completely agree with Dr. Ja. There's, there are pockets of activity. And, you know, uh, businesses are one thing, but when you're dealing with private parties or private gatherings, it becomes much more difficult to, to get a, a handle on that. So we need to do everything we can. Uh-huh. Uh, have we reopened too quickly and, and too much? I mean, there's a lot of focus on, say, restaurants and, you know, now they've been doing okay with patios, but, but that's about to end. You know, have we struck that balance about taking care of the economy and taking care of our health? Well, I believe we didn't reopen too quickly and we, it was very uh, well expected that as economic and physical activity increased, we would get more cases. That's, this is the new normal, Libby, that we'll have to deal with, with for a while. But the important thing is the public health strategy. If hotspots are identified and quick action is taken, I don't think they should belabor the point of uh, uh, shutting down uh, particularly discotheques or bars or you know, where people are not uh, following the, the rules. BC has been very proactive in limiting, for example, bar hours or taking some steps. Um, then, um, but we had to reopen because you also have to look at the consequences of not reopening on children's education, on mental health, on access to services. Uh, so, on the whole, I think we had um, we have to reopen, and I believe the timing was about right. But this will be the new normal. We have to be diligent about finding these uh, isolated hotspots that occur and taking action on them uh, until a time that a vaccine is introduced that is effective, and that's a big uncertainty, until a time we get really cheap tests that we could do regularly and cheaply, uh, then this will be the new normal, and we have to live with it. Uh, Dr. Hota, is there any chance you think, you know, we keep hearing the threat, if if this doesn't get under control or stay under control, the economy will be shut down again? Are there any teeth to that threat? You know, I don't think that there's any desire to be shutting everything down again. A lockdown would be kind of a, a last resort measure because we know lockdowns work to prevent transmission, but, um, you know, eventually you have to reopen again. We're going to be in the same position if we can't figure out how to manage this better. We'll be in the same position the next time around. I agree we need to take a sensible approach. We need to target where transmission is coming from, and that's what we should be aiming to uh, improve or stop or do whatever needs to be done to control 
control things. Um, but, you know, shutting everything down would be something that I, I would imagine would only be reserved if the healthcare system becomes overwhelmed and we're not able to cope otherwise. Okay, just before we go very quickly uh, from both of you, what are you expecting the rest of the week? Should we uh, hold our breath and expect uh, more than 300 cases a day, or is this the, was this an anomaly? I believe it's going to continue to go up if you think about the effects of opening basically showing up in your data at least a week later. So basically after Labor Day, things opened up. So I expect for this week the numbers to increase. What I am very much paying daily attention to is what's the hospitalization and death counts. If that stays low, then I'm assured that we won't have the kind of uh, catastrophe that we had in, in, uh, in April. And Dr. Hoda, quickly, your expectation of the numbers? I'm really hoping that things will kind of go up and down and just hover in an area where we can manage. Um, you know, I, I'm a little concerned with the rate that things have risen in the last two to three weeks. And within my hospital, we are seeing more inpatients coming in and more intensive care unit patients coming in. So, you know, it's very difficult to predict because schools will be opening and that will potentially change how things go as well. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just cautious, cautiously optimistic that we'll be able to keep things under control. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Prabhat Jha and Dr. Susie Hota. Appreciate your time. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.